This morning I want uh, you to turn with me in your copy of the scripture. There's about three different places where we're going to go. Um, so you may have to use more than just your string in your Bible. Um, this morning I just felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to um, talk about a, a lesson that we hit on Wednesday night. I usually don't do this, um, but just felt like God was really prompting my heart to, uh, to really just hash this um, with you this morning. The, the topic of, of today's discussion is moral boundaries. Moral boundaries. How important it is to set moral boundaries for your life. Um, there's all kinds of things that we have in our society where there are boundaries and there are limits. If, if you've gone to a sporting event, typically they have ropes and big guys that weigh about 500 pounds on each end of the rope, and, and they're discouraging you from crossing that boundary. They're, they're not wanting you to come across to, to, to get to the other side for whatever reason that would be. There, our life is full of different things that would be boundaries, um, there are things that we say to other people that would be, um, you know, whether or not you can say no to someone, that would constitute a boundary in your life. Let me give you just a quick resource. If you're looking for something to help you, maybe you have a hard time setting um, just regular boundaries. We're going to go into a step further into moral boundaries today. But let's say you have a problem setting boundaries in general. Let me give you a, a wonderful resource book. It's called, just entitled Boundaries. It's a Christian book. It's written by Dr. Henry Cloud. Dr. Henry Cloud. It talks about those kinds of boundaries that people should have in their life. Um, but today we want to talk about this idea of moral boundaries. Boundaries, by definition, is this. A line that marks the limits of an area. The line that marks the limits of an area. So to add the moral aspect to the boundary would be this. Lines that mark the limits of your integrity, of your character, and of your relationship with the Lord. That's what moral boundaries consist of. You'll find that this is a, a concept and a, a teaching that I, am, um, I, I believe is very important. And honestly, today, as, as you hear me speak, you may think, man, he's a little strict, a little radical, maybe a little over the top on this. Well, let me just say this. It's been my experience in ministering with people that one of the most common things that makes People fall in their life, fall into sin, fall away from God, get to the place where they're not growing as a believer is because they have neglected to set moral boundaries for where they would live their life. And so today, as we approach this thought process today, I want us to go to three different passages of Scripture. I'm going to tell you the first two so you can mark them. The first one is in Galatians chapter 5. That will be the last place we end up today. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. The next place will be Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. And the first place that we'll start today is in the book of Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. 
Let's bow for just a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to continue to touch us through his word. Father, today, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that it is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. God, your word says if we hide it deep inside of us, it'll help us to not sin against you. That is the principle that we are talking about this morning, this idea of setting boundaries in our life so that we don't allow the enemy to get a foothold, so we don't cross over into that realm of sin and live in gray area. But God, we live according to your word. God, today I pray, help us, God, as as we walk through this, this text, as we walk through this lesson this morning. God, let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts today. We love you. We praise you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you the story about two different guys, a tale of two men, if you will. First of all, we're going to talk about a guy named Joseph. Um, you know, most of you know I'm very privileged. I'm, I'm very uh, on Joseph. I love Joseph. He's got a cool name. God blessed him that way. And, and, and Joseph is just an awesome guy. Joseph had a tough life. How many of you have brothers and sisters that you'd like to sell into slavery? Now that's bad. Come on. You shouldn't have raised your hand there. But there are probably some times, right? Well, Joseph was a guy who, you know, he had a couple things that were going against him um, early on in his life. Number one was that he was favored by his father. He was favored by his dad. His dad favored him above all of his other kids. That really speaks. There's a passage in in, uh, the New Testament where it it talks about don't show favoritism. I believe it's found in James. Don't show favoritism. Favoritism is bad. This is a prime example of why favoritism is bad. Because all of his brothers uh, had this idea that Joseph was the favorite. His dad bought him this wonderful, you've probably heard of the coat of many colors. That was an ornate coat. It was probably very... uh, gaudy, very nice, very just, and, and the only one that got one of those coats, it wasn't like a letter jacket where everybody else got one. Joseph was the only one. Joseph was it. Joseph also had a problem with his spiritual maturity at this time in his life. Let me just give you an example. He goes out to see his brothers and he tells them, hey guys, guess what? I had a dream. And his brothers goes, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because they just, whatever. He says, let me tell you my dream. In my dream, all of you bow down to me. How many of you know that doesn't go well with siblings? <laughs> right? My sister had a dream, and she said, there's going to be a day when you bow down to me. I was like, yeah, right now. <laughs> you know, here, here we go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That doesn't go well with siblings. So you take into the fact that Joseph is favored. You take into the fact that he is a little immature in his, in his walk right now, and he's young. You take all that into account, and his brothers hated him. So what they did is they took him, they threw him into a pit, they took that ornate robe off of him, almost as if it's a sign of saying, Dad, I'll show you. They took that ornate robe off of him, they tore it, they dipped it in blood, and they came up with a story that says, hey, we're going to kill him. One of the brothers said, no, let's not kill him. And they sold him into slavery. And he winds up in Egypt. Let me tell you, Joseph had a long road. He went from favored in his dad's house 
to now a slave. He goes into Egypt, and we're going to pick up this in chapter 39 of Genesis, because here's a guy that no matter all the things he went through, all of the stuff that happened in his life, he remained true to his walk with God, and he set moral boundaries in his life. God blessed him. He gave him favor, and he finds himself in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the Egyptian captain of the guard. He was like the general in command. He was the dude in the army. And Joseph finds himself in his care. He is a servant, a slave to Potiphar. And we're going to pick up reading here in verse 2 of Genesis 39. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that God gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his care, everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that that he owned, the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. That's some big-time trust. That's big-time trust. He left everything that was in his house to his servant, his slave's care. It says this, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. I think it's a character name trait. (laughs) I I don't know. Joseph was well-built and handsome. I couldn't resist, sorry. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then, this is, this is what I want you to get, these next couple sentences. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Did you notice that? He didn't say, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against the master? It was, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He's setting moral boundaries. And check out what he does in verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. It wasn't just that he kept saying no. He put himself in a position where he didn't even have to be around her. That's what you call a moral boundary. The thing about Joseph's life, if you continue on to read Genesis, and I encourage you, it's a great story. Potiphar's wife attacks him, really, and takes his coat, his cloak, and Joseph flees. He takes off running. Nothing ever happened. She accuses him. He ends up in prison. But because even though he, he set those moral boundaries and even though he was, the circumstances that he was placed in were not the ones that he would have drawn up, his, 
His moral morality, his character, his integrity was intact. And because his integrity and character were intact, God could continue to bless him. And before you know it, he was going to be second in charge of the entire kingdom of Egypt. That's the story of one man. Flip over with me to Judges chapter 16. I want to tell you about a story of another man. This man's name is Samson. <clears throat> Samson is known in Scripture as being the guy who was like super duper strong. He was really strong. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't picture Samson as being the muscle-bound, huge bodybuilder, walks around like this type of guy. You don't want to know why I don't picture him that way? It's because his strength wasn't found in himself. It was found in God. I don't believe Samson was this big old huge muscular dude. I, I think he was just, just like us. I think he was just a normal guy. But whenever the Holy Spirit hit him, he had supernatural strength. When Samson was born, he was told there were three things. He, he, his mom was told that he was to be a Nazarite. He was to take a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow was the fact that they were supposed to abstain. They were supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. And in doing so, they would be abstaining from three things. They would be abstaining from fruit from the vine, which would be grapes, wine, those kind of things. They couldn't touch anything unclean, anything dead, anything that would be considered unclean. They could not touch anything unclean. And then finally, no razor could touch his head. Now, Samson was... A guy who just kind of lived life haphazardly and carelessly. Let's just be honest. He didn't really set moral boundaries. As a matter of fact, after his birth, if you read through some of uh, Judges, I believe it's in chapter 14, chapter 15, somewhere in there, um, you'll find that Samson, one of the places that they find him is in a vineyard. How many know what they grow in vineyards? How many know what vineyards are really for? Right? So <clears throat> there he has three things, right? So there's probably one. Right? The second thing that he's not supposed to do is touch an unclean thing. There's a story in Judges where Samson, he's on his way to his um I don't know, bachelor party kind of deal. I don't know what to call it, but he he kills this lion. This lion comes and attacks him and he kills this lion. He comes back to it later and the bees have, inside the carcass of this lion, have created a hive and there's honey. And so Samson dips his hand inside the carcass of the lion and digs out the honey to eat. Not touch any unclean thing. So there's two. Notice the pattern in Samson's life. He's not really protecting his heart. He's not really protecting his life. I think Samson has this idea that um, I am bigger. I am, it's all about me, and it's about what I want to do, and it's about what I want for my life. And as a matter of fact, the first wife that he was going to marry, his parents tried to, for, to tell him not to. They tried to discourage him in doing so, but he said, no, go get her. I want her. And so he ends up doing things his way the way that he wants them done. And then we get to this passage in chapter 16. Now, I'm going to be really super honest. Samson has to be the most gullible, stupid man that ever walked the face of the earth. Let me tell you why. Delilah 
comes up with her charms and all of her um, cunning ability. And, and she, like, I can just see it. Can't you see it? She's like caressing his head and kind of maybe giving him a scalp massage and just kind of, oh, Samson, what's the secret of your great strength? And Samson decides to have a little fun. And he tells her one. There were a couple of them. One of them was the fact that if you tie me, um, let me see, I want to make sure I get this right because there are two. He says, if... um, if you tie me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. In chapter 16, that's what uh, verse 7 says. So guess what? Samson wakes up the next morning, and guess what's happened? He's tied up with seven fresh bowstrings. He snaps them off, just like he did before. <sighs> Duh. Delilah says, Samson, I can't believe that you treated me that way. (laughs) I can't believe that you didn't tell me the truth. So tell me what is the strength, what's the secret? You've made a fool out of me. You lied to me. Tell me, how can you be tied up? How can you be subdued? And he says, if anybody secures me with new ropes that have never been used, I'll be weak as any other man. The next morning, hello, new ropes, same thing. Now, I'm going to be honest with you because I, I, well, I'm always honest with you, but let me, let me just kind of give you my perspective in this. I think Samson enjoyed pushing the envelope. I think Samson enjoyed seeing how close he could get. It's like he was playing Price was Right Christianity. Come close to the edge without going over. But in doing that, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. So Samson, she is upset with him again. She calls him in, and basically, uh, the Bible says that, uh, you know, she nagged him to death. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it, is what it says. And so he told her everything. No razors ever touched my head. I've been a Nazarite to God since birth. And the next day, he woke up and his hair was gone. I'm going to share with you what I think is one of the most tragic scriptures in all of the Bible. And it's found in Judges chapter 16. I'm going to start reading in verses, verse 19. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave the seven braids of his hair, and so, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. This is where I'm talking about, right here. He woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He played life too close to the edge. He played life too close to the edge. And he found the breaking point that God had left him. 
You know, one thing that I also see, and, and maybe you don't see this, but this is one thing I see in Samson's story, is the grace and the mercy of God. Because Samson had three vows, and he started by breaking one, and then two. It wasn't until he totally went off the edge that God took his hands away and said, Samson, if that's the way you want it, I'll take my hands off, and you can go do things your own way. One of the scariest things, I think, in our Christian walk is this. If you're content to do things the way that you want to do, if you're content and, if, and, and you, want to, you want to have fun, man, I don't, God's not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do my life this way. Yeah, no moral boundaries. There'll be a time when God will say, okay, if you want to live the way you want, he'll take his hands off. And then you'll deal with the consequences of what you have to deal with. For Samson, those consequences were he lost his eyes, he lost his freedom. Not only did he lose his eyes and his freedom, later on he repents, and that's another glimpse of God's grace and mercy. He repents, and God gives him back his strength, and he would eventually lose his life as he kills Philistines as they make sport of him. Today, as, as we move ahead, I want us to just look at one last text of Scripture, and it's found in Galatians chapter 5. And then we're going to talk about some things here. I'm going to give you some, some stuff that you can kind of take home. Because I believe it's important for us, church, I believe it's important for us, Christian, that you set moral boundaries in your life. We have a wonderful example here of two guys. One did and one didn't. The one that did saw the blessings and the favor and the anointing of God flow in his life. The other one, it cost him dearly. So today I want us to look at that. Galatians chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse 13. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. In other words, they don't really see eye to eye. They don't get along. If you're going to live for you, you're not going to live for God. If you're going to live for for God, you're going to have to kill the things of you, the sinful nature that is inside of you, for that to exist and that to happen. They are in conflict with each other, it says, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can I tell you that this is just a a, a small list? There are other things, as you read scripture, that you'll find that also go onto this list. But then he says this, this is how you tell the difference. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
And since we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. Let's look at some concepts for us to understand this morning. Concepts to understand. I apologize for the, for the size of print that's on the screen, but if you'll follow along, I'll try to make it where you can make them out. The first thing is this. Since we are called to live holy lives before God and men, boundaries are essential to accomplish that. Since we are called to live holy lives before God and men, moral boundaries are essential to accomplish that. God's called us. First Peter talks about be holy because I am holy. If you're not, if you're not living a life for God, if, if the fruits of the Spirit that we read a while ago, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, meekness, self-control, if those things are not in your life and coming out of your life, do you know what really is going to come out? Too much of you. Now, I love, I love you guys, and you're awesome, but I'd rather see the fruits of the Spirit coming up in our lives, right? Instead of the things of the flesh. And what that does is if, if uh, maybe you, you would say, you know what, Pastor, I, I just I have a hard time with this. We're going to talk about how to set moral boundaries here in just a minute. But this thought process of living a holy life, can I tell you there are people watching you? There are people that are looking at you And as you serve the Lord, as you serve God with gladness, as you give your life to the Lord, you know what people want to see? They want to see Jesus in you because they're looking for hope. And you have that hope. But if you're not living, if, if you're not setting moral boundaries and you're living carelessly with your life, it is much more likely that you will live a life that is not holy to the Lord. The second one is this. More personal growth happens in a person's life the more strict they become with their boundaries. The closer I move in a relationship with God, the more I don't want to hurt Him. Moral boundaries are safeguards to protect you from falling into sin. An individual If an individual is consistently growing in their walk with the Lord, can I tell you, those boundaries will move farther away from the edge and and you will move closer to a a relationship with God than you've ever been. They will move farther away from the edge of sin and you'll move closer to God than you've ever been. Can I just say, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we're perfect. But the idea here is that my focus has changed. My focus has changed. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus and less on the things of the world. I'll tell you a little thing about coming close to the edge. When I was youth pastoring in, in uh, Illinois, I took a group of teenagers and we went to the Grand Canyon. If uh, you ever want to find out about yourself, load up the van with about 18 teenagers and drive. We're at the Grand Canyon, and, uh, you know, I, I decided I didn't let any of the teenagers do it because I'm smarter than that, but I thought I'd do it. Yeah, that's kind of the, the logic in this. At the part of the Grand Canyon where we were at, there was a, a fence that was back a ways from the edge of the canyon. But there was a big rock that was out on the other side of that fence that was very stable. It was very, you know, and it had an, ex- an incredible view, I thought. 
At the end of the fence, there was about a space about like that that you could kind of squeeze through. Y'all see where this is going, don't you? Yeah. Squeeze through the fence. If the edge of the canyon is the edge of this platform, I began to creep out onto that edge, and I got about right here, about two to three feet, and I just leaned like this. And I'm like, oh, what have I done? But then I thought this moment of coolness came over me. And I said, somebody take a picture. And so we snapped a picture. And I said, hurry up and take this picture. I got to get off this ledge. Because the edge was right there. Now, that's kind of a funny story. Obviously, I'm here today. I didn't fall. If I would have fallen, I wouldn't be here before you today. um, Because it would have been probably instantaneous death. But... What I'm trying to get is this. We like to do that in our relationships with God is God puts up a boundary, but there's a little gaping hole that we see that we think, whoa, I can get through that. I want to see what the edge looks like. I want to see what it's looking like. I want to see how close can I get to the edge, the price is right Christianity, without going over. And so we kind of work our way out there. And I've seen this happen in so many people's lives. We work their way out there, but instead of stopping, we want to get as close as we can. And what happens is we slip, we fall, and we pay the consequences for our sin. The more close you come in your growth process with the Lord, the farther back you want to get from the edge of that cliff. Third, whatever boundaries you set for yourself and your family, your kids will test. That's truth. I can tell you that right now. Whatever moral boundaries you set for yourself and family, your kids will test. From the movies you allow, to the language that you allow in your home, to what you allow them to do with their boyfriend, their girlfriend, to where you go, to how you live, all of those things, will they'll be tested. Remember, little eyes are watching you as you live your life. If you don't set boundaries in your life and your home, you're setting your kids up for failure. I'm going to say that again because I, it's hugely important. If you're not setting boundaries, if you're not setting moral boundaries in your home, you are setting your kids up for failure. They don't need a friend. They need a parent. You can be their friend later. They need you to parent them now. Finally, if you keep crossing that boundary and you keep pushing it back, the chances of suffering the same fate as Samson did is a very real possibility. I touched on that earlier. Finally, I want to do this. How to set moral boundaries. How to set moral boundaries. I've got six things up here. We'll go through them today. Number one is this. You have to set moral boundaries by the moral authority. And the moral authority is found right here in this book. You have to set your moral boundaries by the word of God. The only way you can set moral boundaries by the Word of God is that you read the Word of God and you study this book. It's been my experience in my life that moral boundaries don't just poof happen. Oh, we're gonna be a good, we're gonna be good. We're gonna we're gonna not allow that in our home. And and you know what? We're gonna be we're gonna be awesome parents. We're gonna be like the five star parents. We're gonna write a book. Yeah. Where are you getting your authority? Oh, it's just what my wife and I have said. We're just, we're just that good. 
How many of you know what happens? When I don't have a standard and absolute authority, what happened to those boundaries? They just keep getting pushed, and they keep getting pushed, and they keep getting pushed. Why? Because I need an absolute authority in my life. And that absolute authority comes from God's word. We have no moral integrity in and of ourselves. How many of you know you're a sinful person? The rest of you are lying to yourself. The altar will be open after church, and I would be happy to pray with you. We're all sinful people. The Bible says that everyone sinned. We are born into that. And it's pretty clearly defined throughout Scripture. We should have a Joseph approach to boundaries and to sin, that we flee, that we get as far away as we can, that we put up moral boundaries. The second one is this, by praying and by listening to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about. I have this happen inevitably all the time. I'll preach a message like this, and somebody somewhere will go through their scripture, and they'll come up with this gray area. What about this, pastor? The Bible doesn't talk about this. Well, let me ask you this. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about that? Chances are, and this is just my thought process, chances are if you have to come to me to ask for permission, the Holy Spirit's already speaking to your heart that you shouldn't be doing it. Am I right? Listen to God. Listen to his voice. He will speak to you. You'll set those more boundaries by praying about it. Next is this. After researching the scripture and praying, it's important that we take an assessment of where we are. And start to set boundaries for your life. Take an assessment of where you are. Um, the scripture talks about it this way. When we talk about coming to the communion table, it says, let a man examine himself. That examination, examinations are good. Now, I don't like to go to the dentist. I don't like to go to the doctor. I definitely don't like to go to the dentist. He, she pulled out one of my wisdom teeth this week. And, oh, my goodness. Last week. and Whew. Bones cracking and, oh. Okay, I'm, I'm gone. All right, here we go. But examinations are good. They're healthy because we need them. We need spiritual examinations of our life. We open up the word of God. We open up in prayer and we allow God to give us an assessment. We examine ourselves honestly and put us down where we are. And then from there, we start to set boundaries in our life. You've got to do that. Take an assessment. Find, uh, the next one is this. And this is something that most Christians don't like to do because we don't like to share our stuff. Prayerfully consider an accountability partner who can help you maintain your boundaries. We don't like to do that because we don't like to share our stuff. We're pretty private people. We don't want people involved. That gets sticky. It gets messy. I don't like that. But let me tell you, one of the greatest things I have in my life is a friend that I've had since high school who have allowed to ask me tough questions, who have allowed to help me set boundaries for my life, and who's not afraid to ask me about them. Now, the secret here is this. You've got to find somebody you trust. It's got to be somebody loyal. You don't want somebody taking your your boundary lines and your stuff and taking it out and putting it in the Jeffersonian for five people to read. 
But the idea here is that you want to make sure that you are putting yourself in a place where somebody, you're accountable to somebody because we need that. That's why God gives us the body of Christ. It's not just so you can come in here and slap high fives and woohoo, we go to Valentine's banquets and we can worship and we can have fun and we can have men's breakfast and we can go to the well and all the fun stuff that we do in ministry. That's great and it's important. But you know what the body of Christ is supposed to do is to encourage and to edify and to build one another up. And one of the ways that we do that is to come alongside each other and help one another grow. And part of helping one another grow is to help somebody if they're struggling. Man, uh, maybe there's a time in your life when you feel like, man, I'm tempted to go past this boundary. I've set this boundary in my life. I, uh, the Word of God says that I should not do this. But I'm right here at the edge of it. You know what I need to do? I need to call my brother. And I need to, hey, you know, can you pray for me right now? I'm going through something. I need your help. Would you pray with me? And they're there. And they pray. Accountability partners are huge. The next one is very simple. It sounds really profound. Just this, live out the boundaries you've set. Don't move the boundary line. You, will, you can never expect those to have around you to have moral integrity and boundaries. If you want to expect them to do it, you have to do it yourself. Because if you're moving the boundary all the time, what you're saying is really gibberish. And so you have to be able to set that and not move it. Finally, it's this. Create boundary expectations in your home through discussions with those who live there. And not only that, sometimes you're going to have to set boundaries apply for those who visit there as well. I think for far too long, we've given the devil access into our homes. And the only thing that seems to be getting bigger is the size of the TV screen and the size of the things that we allow him to do it with. I'm not preaching against TV. I'll probably sit down and watch the football game today. The reality of it is, though, is what are we allowing into our home? If what you're allowing sets a precedent and this is what you stand by, then what you have to do at some point is, is stand guard at the door. That's what I'm kind of asking you to do of your home. Men, God has called you to be the priest of your house. The priest of your home. And as the priest of my home, I need to re, uh, to re understand the fact of responsibility that comes on me. Because I don't want to let something in my house that's going to destroy my family. And so I need to set at the door. And we need to set those moral boundaries. And say, devil, not in my house. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to live my life as best as I can. Does that mean that it always works out rosy? And that everything is just leave it to beaver style? No, that's not what I'm saying. But the thing of of it is, is we've become far too lax for far too long. And now, let me just say this. Whatever you allow, the next generation will bump that up a notch. And then the next generation will bump it up further. Let me give you a prime example. The United States of America. Think about what life was like. Some of you have to imagine, I do too a little bit, from the 50s, 
the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, and the 90s to where we are today. What we allow, what we're comfortable with, what we've said is cool and okay, now we've gotten to the place where even if it goes against the Word of God, we're still cool with it. Because each generation bumped it up a notch. And now the moral boundary for our nation set almost is off the cliff. I challenge you. Set that boundary for your life. Set it for your family. How you treat each other. What entertainment choices you're going to allow. What you can and can't do. What you're going to do with social media. What you're going to allow with your computer, with your cell phone. Language that can be used in my presence and in my home. These are expectations. If you were to ask my kids, Caitlin's here, Cameron would tell you the same thing. We have expectations that are allowed in our home and what's not allowed. And there are consequences to pay when you go past those expectations, when you go past the boundary line. Why? Because I would rather set the boundary here, and then when my kid goes across, I can reach out and grab them and pull them back before they get off the deep end. my philosophy. And so today I challenge you, where are the moral boundaries in your life? Have you set those up? And are they, are you living a life like Joseph? Are you living a life like Samson, careless and reckless or dedicated to the Lord? Would you bow your heads please? Father, today, God, I thank you for your word. So grateful that it It stretches us, it molds us, it shapes us into what you want us to be. God, today, there may be some here today in this this service this morning that they're having a really difficult time setting moral boundaries in their life. God, they've, they've either set them too close to the edge or they're living like Samson. They don't have any moral boundaries and they're just living their life haphazardly, trying to do their best to serve God. And they can't figure out why they keep stumbling, why they keep falling, why they keep struggling with the same things and the same stuff and the same sin. And part of it's because they never set boundaries to keep them from it. So God, I pray today, Holy Spirit, right now, take the words of scripture, take the words that, that we believe that you've given to our hearts today and speak to us in this moment. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and you be honest with God and honest with yourself today. And you say, you know what, Pastor? I need to reevaluate where my moral boundaries are. I need to reevaluate where my moral boundaries are. I need to set them a little differently. I need to adjust them. I need to move them closer to God. I need to be dedicated to this idea of growth in Him and reading His Word and finding out where He wants me to be. If that's you today and you'd be honest with the Lord, Pastor, I need to reassess where my boundaries are. Would you raise your hand this morning and say, God, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I need to reassess where those are. Thank the Lord. Would you stand with me, please? Maybe you're here this morning and 
and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, can I just tell you that that's where, that's where the boundary has to start. That's where you kind of get that in your life is, is a walk with God. And, and today, if, if you don't have that relationship with God, I want to encourage you here in just a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, we're going to sing, and I'm going to ask God that you would just Speak to the hearts of these people, God, today. Your heads are still bowed. Your eyes are closed. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with God, but I want one this morning. Would you slip up your hand right now? We want to pray with you this morning. Is there anyone here? Awesome. Praise you, Lord. Here's how... We're going to close this service. For those of you that raise your hand, you need help with moral boundaries in your life. I'm going to pray for you right now. If you raise your hand and you want for salvation in your life, here's what we're going to do. After I conclude with this prayer, I'm going to be standing right up here. I'm going to kind of dismiss some folks. If they need to go, that's fine. But I'm going to be standing right here at the front. And I want you to come. And I want you to come meet with me. My wife and I will be standing right here. We want to come and pray with you. We want to pray with you today that God will do change your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, today I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you speak to us. God, today I pray that for those that raise their hand, God, that said, man, I'm, I need, God, your help in assessing where my moral boundaries are because I want to be the man of God. I want to be the woman of God that you've called me to be. I want my home to be a safe place. Um, I, I want my, play, the, my life to reflect the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And God, today, I, I pray that those that raise their hand for that, Lord, today, Holy Spirit, help them to understand that this is going to be a process of decisions that they're going to have to make. It's going to have to be, they're going to sit down and they're going to say, this is what my boundary is. I am not going to cross it. I'm not going to let the devil try to coerce me or tempt me. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to make decisions that, that help me to move toward God, not move me farther away. I'm not going to be haphazard in my walk with God anymore, but I'm going to set boundaries and limitations because, God, I believe you have great things in store for their lives. God, I pray that today you bless them, bless their homes, bless their families, God, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray today as we leave this place that your spirit would go with us. God, that you would speak to our hearts throughout this week about this message, the moral boundaries that we need to set in our life. It's critical. It's important. We thank you, God, today. Bless us as we go. May we share our faith, our love for you with someone this week. Give us opportunities to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.